Welcome to the serialized audiobook of The Rookie, Season 1 of the Galactic Football League series. Written and performed by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler. The Rookie is also available in print, ebook, and unabridged audiobook. For links to purchase any version, visit scottsigler.com slash the rookie. Chapter 3. The Combine The Combine was much smaller than Emperor II. A featureless, gray orb, devoid of any color, the Combine looked the part of a prison station. The shuttle docked, and the Kretorakian escort led Quentin out. More Kretorakians were waiting inside. Many more. Quentin tried to count them, but they flew so quickly, and were so numerous, his eyes couldn't lock on. It was like being in the middle of a swarming flock of birds. He shuddered as he thought what it must have been like for Manny and the other human ground forces that tried to fight the Kretorakians some forty years ago. Quentin walked down the hall. It seemed as if the small, flying creatures would slam into him at any moment, but they always banked left or right at the last possible second, just missing him. He walked forward, trying to ignore the little creatures that seemed to fill the tight hallway like a gas. He walked past a row of small pressure doors. His escort stopped in front of an open one. A Kretorakian perched on the doorframe, seemingly waiting for them. You are Quentin Barnes, it said, a statement more than a question. Yes. You are now number 113. You will answer to that number while you are at the combine. Inside you will find human clothes. Wear them. You have five minutes to prepare, then we will begin testing. Quentin walked into the room. The door shut behind him. It took him only a second to realize he was in a prison cell. The only furnishing was a human-length metal shelf that stuck out from the wall at waist level. A metal toilet hung from the back wall. On the floor next to the toilet was a two-foot diameter circle of fine metal mesh. He recognized the mesh as a nanite shower. He'd used them at some of the opposing team's locker room in stadiums that didn't have large water supplies like McCovey. On the shelf sat a yellow, form-fitting bodysuit labeled on the chest with the number 113. Quentin looked on the back of the suit, expecting to see Barnes written in the typical block letters, but there was no name, just another 113. The suit seemed heavy. The material felt slightly lumpy, as if it were filled with micro-wires and various tiny electronic devices. He sighed, wondered what he was in for, and started to strip. A buzzer sounded from a hidden loudspeaker, making Quentin jump. The door to his cell opened. He looked out at the rush of Kretorakians moving back and forth, so fast they were nothing more than a flash of silver uniforms and red wings. A Kretorakian flew into his cell. Number 113, exit your room and wait for instructions. Dressed in his yellow suit, a barefooted Quentin stepped out and stood on the hallway's cold metal grill. There were even more bats now, but there were other humans as well. In front of each door, stood a man dressed in a yellow bodysuit identical to Quentin's. 
it surprised him that he felt infinitely relieved to see other humans. Three doors down and across the hall, he recognized Alonzo Castro, a linebacker from Sigurd. Castro had led the PNFL in tackles and hit like the impact of an asteroid. At least, that was the rumor. In the championship game, he hadn't been able to lay a glove on Quentin. Alonzo caught his gaze and waved. Quentin, what's up, champ? Just doing my time in prison. Alonzo laughed. Yeah, I heard about this place. The hallway filled with light conversation as men recognized each other from their on-field battles or from holocasts of the hundreds of Tier 3 teams. It seemed strange to be talking while countless Kratorakians flew back and forth, but Quentin was already growing used to their presence. Who bought out your contract? Alonzo asked. The Krakens. You? Texas Earthlings! I'll be living in the Planetary Union, if you can believe that! No offense, but for a linebacker, aren't you a little, well... Small, Alonzo said, finishing Quentin's thought. His smile stayed, but the friendly expression faded from his eyes. Yeah, well, they seem to think I've got what it takes. Hey, if we's lucky, I'll see you in the playoffs. Quentin thought for a second, then nodded. Alonzo was very fast and as strong as a Mason Siebel. He'd given the Raiders' offensive line fits trying to block him. If he could overcome his small stature, he might be a real factor for the Earthlings. I hear we're in for a long day, Alonzo said. Why's that? This testing crap goes on forever, I'm told. The man to Quentin's right spoke up. I was here last year. Today will be pure hell. He was big, almost as big as a PNFL guard or tackle, yet he had that lean look of a man who could move, obviously a tight end. His pale blue skin marked his probable origin as the League of Planets, and his hair was electric blonde. Why are you here again? Quentin asked. I thought you only had to do the combine once, then you get individual testing after that. The man nodded. Yeah, if you make the team. My contract was picked up by the Parasites last year, but I didn't make the cut, so it was back to another season of Tier 3. How's the play there? Tougher every year, the man said with a grimace. He offered his hand. I'm Olaf Ranio. Quentin looked at the blue-skinned hand for a second. To not shake it was an instant insult. To touch a blue skin, however, was to touch people who had been kicked off of Earth for consorting with Satan. The hand hung there awkwardly, almost for a second, before Quentin shook it, not quite able to hide his revulsion. I'm Quentin Barnes. Olaf looked surprised. The PNFL guy? Yeah, I watched that game on the net. You made Sigurd look like a bunch of pansies. Pansies? Alonzo said from across the hall. His lighthearted tone had vanished. Now there was nothing but malice in his voice. Keep it up, blue boy. I'll show you a pansy. Olaf bristled at the racial insult so frequently levied against people from the League of Planets. Ah, never mind him, Quentin said. He's still chapped from the spanking I gave him in the championship game. The two men kept staring at each other for a few seconds. Then Olaf laughed dismissively and turned back to Quentin. I figured you'd go tier one. Quentin shrugged. Me too, but I'll get there soon enough. Olaf smiled. Hope so. 
you might find it's not as easy as you think. So you've been here before. Where's all the aliens? Each race has its own wing. This used to be a prison, and they kept the races separate to cut down on the violence. What's so tough about today, anyway? What kind of tests? Olaf shrugged. Can't tell you that. They tell you that any mention of what goes on here gets you kicked out of the league, but I suspect that if you talk about the inner workings of the Combine, you'll disappear for good. A sudden, blaring buzzer sounded again, ending all conversation. A Kretorakian in a blue uniform hovered at the end of the hall, his black wings nothing but a blur. This is the Combine! The little creature said, his voice amplified by the ship's speakers. You will refer to me and any other you see in a blue suit as boss. I am boss one. If you do not follow instructions, you will be removed before you can complete the testing. If you do not complete the testing, you cannot play upper tier football. The hallway fell deathly silent. Every man here would rather be dragged behind an earth horse than go back for another season of tier three. The Combine Test Purity, Boss once said. Kretorakian law makes it illegal for humans or any other race to have biological modifications, cybernetic implants, strength or performance-enhancing chemicals, mental accelerator chips, or any other non-natural augmentation. The Galactic Football League is a showcase of cooperation amongst the races, and therefore you must be pure to ensure fair competition. The men nodded in agreement and understanding. But everyone knew the real reason for purity. The Kretorakians ruled by military strength. They did not allow any biological modifications that might make the subject races more effective warriors. Their post-war pogrom killed millions of soldiers. Biotech-enhanced human warriors. The cyborg key commandos. The Sklorna with carbon-titanium chitin genes for impermeable shells. Quith warriors, with their hordes of implanted biorepair nanocytes, all wiped out in a two-year-long purge designed to eliminate potential guerrilla fighters. Since that time, discovery of any biomodification resulted in a prison sentence if it could be removed, or a death sentence if it could not. The yellow lines on the floor will lead you through the stations. Follow the lines and follow all instructions. Failure to comply with a boss's orders results in immediate dismissal. There is no talking. The testing begins immediately. Quentin shuffled along on the yellow line, waiting for the 112 players ahead of him to enter the first station. Each man went in, the door closed and stayed closed for a few minutes, then the door opened for the next in line. Finally, it was his turn. The door closed behind him as he entered a room with racks of yellow jumpsuits. A large, black machine with a gray, man-sized X dominated the back wall, complete with shackles at each end, two for hands and two for feet. Sit down, 113. The voice came from the other end of the room where a blue-suited boss perched on a table. A rail, hanging just two feet from the ceiling, ran the circumference of the room. Every last inch of that rail was packed with fidgeting, black-suited Kretorakians. Sit down, 113, the boss repeated. A small metal stool sat in front of the table. Quentin walked to it 
and sat. The stool was just high enough that his feet didn't quite hit the floor. The stool's edges pushed the suit's mini-wires into the backs of his thighs. I am boss, too. I am an official magistrate of the Kretorakian Empire. To lie to me in any way is punishable by imprisonment. It was typical Kretorakian communication, a statement without questions. They never said things that human authority figures said, like, Do you understand? Or, Do I make myself clear? A Kretorakian spoke once and only once. If you didn't listen, or just plain didn't hear him, too bad for you. Boss 2 fluttered up from his perch and landed on Quentin's head. Quentin felt its sharp little claws and soft, fleshy fingers on his scalp, and he instantly wondered if Boss 2 carried an entropic pistol. His body prickled with heat, but he fought back the urge to swat Boss 2 away like one might do a pesky fly or one of those flying tarantulas from the planet, too. Is this part of the test? Just relax. Just be cool in the pocket. I will now ask you questions. Get into the device at the end of this room. Quentin looked suspiciously at the Big X. He'd seen such devices in movies before. An interrogation table. The purest nation used such machines on prisoners, heretics, and on the rare occasions someone actually prosecuted an organized crime figure. And if I don't get in? You will be dismissed. Quentin walked to the X as Boss 2 fluttered up to the perch rail. Quentin backed into it, putting his feet on the little platforms at the bottom. He gripped the handholds at the top. He had time for one deep, ragged breath. Then a dozen Kretorakians flew down from their ceiling perches. They fluttered around him, working the controls. Restraining locks snapped into place around his wrists, legs, and waist. The tight locks dug into his arms and shins. Be calm. Be calm. It's just a linebacker blitz. Be calm and make the right decision. In the climate-ravaged world of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geoengineered paradise that protects its fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. In a time when the world outside is unsafe, it's vital for Pura's existence that people rally behind the purpose of the city, and Demetria Lopez, head of the city's public relations, tirelessly promotes its idyllic image. But when she stumbles on a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Have you ever had any kind of cybernetic implant? 
No. Have you ever had any biotech modifications to your body? No. A pair of small mechanical arms dropped down from either side of his head. Each arm held a small screen. Tiny, but when right in front of his eyes, they filled up his entire range of vision. Multicolored static played on the screens. Quentin felt his heart rate increase. Have you ever taken performance-enhancing drugs? No. Have you ever stolen? Quentin started to automatically say no, then stopped himself. He'd stolen plenty of times as a kid. Could the Kretorakians know about that? Did they have access to Purist Nation criminal files? Have you ever stolen 113? The GFL demanded poster boy types from all races. If he admitted to stealing, would they kick him out? Would he be sent back to the PNFL to live out his career in the most backwater of football leagues? You will answer now or you will be dismissed. Have you ever stolen? Yes. A stabbing, needle-like pain erupted from the small of his back. What's going on? What are you doing to me? Have you ever taken the stimulants cocaine, esterex, methamphetamines, mesh, or caramel bacterial extract? Another needle-like pain, this one from his shoulder. He grunted and pulled at the restraints, but they held him fast. He tried to turn his head and look, but the little screens moved with him, and he could see nothing but multicolored static. Canada 113, you will answer the question or be dismissed. Ah, uh, I took bacterial extract once, but not the others. And when I get out of this thing, I'm going to twist your little shucking head right off your body. Two more needle stings, one in each buttock. Do not threaten violence, 113, or you will be dismissed. You will now be asked five questions, and if you answer incorrectly, you will receive a shock. A fifth needle-like sting, this time from his thigh, and much worse than the others. This one dug deep. Through the piercing agony, Quentin thought he felt the point punch into his femur. Is your name Quentin Barnes? Yes. What is four times fifteen? Uh, sixty. What is the square root of two hundred and forty-nine? What? A short one-second blast of electricity ripped through his body. His back arched involuntarily, pushing his stomach hard against the waist restraint. What is the square root of 249? How should I know? Another blast of electricity hit him, this one two seconds long and stronger than the first. The void take you! Let me out of this thing! Do you wish to quit the test? Quentin fell silent. Quitting now meant he failed and would never reach Tier 2, let alone Tier 1. He took a fast, deep breath, tried to block out the needle pain. No, I will continue. Who do you know in the Zoroastrian Guild? The what? A third shockwave hit him, much harder than the last. Who do you know in the Zoroastrian Guild? I don't know anyone in any guild. If the shuttle leaves Buddha City at a speed of three light years per day and is heading for the Planetary Union Consulate on New Earth, which is at a distance of 12 light years, but moving away at a rate of two light years per day, how long will it take the shuttle to reach the consulate? A story problem? What does that have to do with football? A five-second blast of electricity ripped into him. His body shook and convulsed of its own accord. Primal urges took over, and Quentin pulled at his restraints with all his might. The restraints rattled with his efforts, but did not give way. Answer the question. 
I don't know. Another five-second blast hit him, although it seemed as if it lasted for hours. He tasted blood in his mouth, hot and coppery and salty. Answer the question! Quentin took a breath and tried to think. He had to answer the question, or they'd keep hitting him with shocks. Uh, give me a second, okay? You said, wait, what, uh, three light years per day? Suddenly, the static screens went blank and the lights died, casting the room into blackness. Sparks erupted from the X-table, illuminating the room in brief strobe light bursts. The smell of smoke filled the air, as did the high-pitched screeches of the two dozen Kretorakians. Malfunction! Malfunction! droned a robotic voice. Suspect in danger of electrical overload. Shut down interrogation table immediately. The lights flickered back on at half strength, just in time for Quentin to see the Kretorakians abandon the room, flying out through holes in the ceiling. In only two seconds, he was alone, trapped on the X table. His heart whacked away inside his chest, the strongest muscle in his body pumping panic through his limbs. Warning! Suspect in danger of electrocution. Quentin pulled forward with all the strength in his arms. He strained with effort, a small grunt escaping his lips. The smell of sparks and smoke filled his nose. He pulled and pulled, muscles bulging beneath his yellow bodysuit. Warning, suspect will receive fatal shock in five seconds. What in Iwan's name is happening? Quentin pulled harder, and the restraints started to give. He threw the last of his strength, strength he didn't even know he possessed, into the effort, and the arm restraints snapped free with a metallic complaint. He reached down and ripped the restraints from first his left leg, then his right, then dove to the floor just as the chair crackled and hummed with a huge burst of electricity. A shudder ripped through the station. So strong, Quentin grabbed at the stool to keep his balance. Warning! Station decompression imminent. Evacuate immediately. The door opposite the one he had entered slid open with a hiss. He fought down panic. Somehow, he'd gone from a simple test to a sudden run for his life. Quentin looked above the door. The orange circle, the universal symbol for a path to an escape pod, emitted a welcoming glow. If he just followed doors marked with that circle, the path would lead him to a way out. He sprinted through the door, which led into a long hall. At the end of the hall, he saw another orange circle. Strong legs pumped beneath him as he ate up the distance in seconds. At the end of the second hall, the door slid open for him and he jumped through. This room looked like a medical bay, full of tables and cabinets. The floor shifted below him, tilting to the left. Decompression imminent. Move to the nearest evacuation station. A light started to flicker. Quentin had seen enough newscasts to know decompression wasn't a pretty sight. He scanned the three doors in the room. The one at the far end showed the welcome orange circle. Just as he ran forward, the room tilted steeply to the right. He kept his balance and kept moving forward, but the tables rolled into his path. He hopped backwards as one rolled just in front of him and slammed against the wall. He took three steps forward before the room shifted again, this time hard to the left. The tables rolled back across his path. He hurtled the first and kept moving forward, but the second table caught him on the hip. The solid metal surface dug into him and tossed him into the far wall. 
Quentin barely managed to stay on his feet. The floor shifted yet again, but this time he was ready for it, angling his body to the left to compensate. Decompression in 15 seconds. The door opened, and he again looked down the hall, this one much shorter, and at the end sat an open airlock door leading into an escape pod. Inside the pod, he saw the welcome sight of shock webbing designed to hold him in place during the rough ejection process. Quentin sprinted down the hall and launched himself through the door, slapping the close button in midair. The door hissed shut behind him as he flew into the shock webbing. The webbing bent elastically under his weight, absorbing his momentum even as free strands of the pliable biomechanical material wrapped around his body, ready to hold him securely against the wild and unpredictable G-forces that accompanied any emergency escape. He breathed hard from exertion and from stress, from fear. He waited for the sudden, jarring impact of jettison. But none came. Instead, one wall of the rounded pod smoothly lifted up. Quentin gasped in disbelief. The other side of that wall should have been nothing but the deepness of space. Instead, he looked into a large room filled with flying and fidgeting Kratorakians, two blue-skinned humans, a quith leader, and three huge humans wearing silver security uniforms and holding shock wands. They weren't moving towards him, but their stance made it quite clear what they would do if Quentin tried to get past them to the quith leader beyond. More than a dozen holotanks hung on the walls. It only took a second to realize that the small, three-dimensional images were of him during various stages of his frantic evacuation. Candidate 113, please rise, said one of the blue boys. The shock webbing slithered off him like a thing alive, gently lowering him to the ground, then returning to its dormant, hanging state. Quentin stood up, adrenaline still racing through his body, his muscles on fire with exertion. Sweat soaked his yellow bodysuit. His eyebrows knitted together in a deep anger. Was this all a test? This was all a test? The blue boy nodded. Yes, that is the first test of the Combine. While it's not the last, it is the most important because it tests to see if you're pure. If you're not pure, there's no point in the other tests. If you'll just step into the staging area, the man said, gesturing to a yellow circle painted on the floor in the middle of the room. We'll review your performance. Quentin shook his head in amazement. He'd been fighting for his life, awash in near heart attack panic, only to find it was all part of the combine. Well, la-dee-da. Someday, he'd kick someone's rear for this. He didn't know who, and he didn't know when, but someday. He walked to the circle. As he did, the hinged escape pod has shut behind him. You tested very high for your position. What did you test? The stings you felt were biosamples, skin, blood, muscle, bone. You have been tested for biomechanics, cybernetics, biotech, drugs, and stimulants. You passed all those tests. Of course I passed, Quentin spat, the fury flowing through him like molten magma. You think I would have come here if I had any mods? The man simply nodded. You are the 113th candidate. You'd be interested to know that 27 of the candidates before you have already been dismissed. 27? That many? The man nodded again. Yes, 
It was a statistically common amount. Some were eliminated immediately from the instant testing of the biosamples. Others were eliminated because of unnatural strength. Quentin nodded slowly. The restraints? Historically, we find that only conditions of severe stress induce full-strength exertions. What about the run to the escape pod? Again, severe stress tests the human body to the utmost of its potential, be it natural or augmented. The computers recorded your strength, your speed, your mental acuity, your stress levels, and your resistance to pain. The rolling tables, for example. Let us test your reflexes and your acceleration from a complete stop. Quentin thought back to the long hallway. Let me guess. The hallway is exactly 40 yards long? Yes. And you set a position record for the combine. A 3.6 second 40-yard dash. Quentin's jaw dropped. He'd been timed at 4.0 before, but his fastest speed was a 3.8. A 3.6? That was fast for a running back, but he'd never even heard of a quarterback with such speed. Does everyone go through this? The tests are different based on position, the man said. With your record-setting performances in the PNFL, you were assigned the most demanding tests we have to offer. Quentin swallowed knowing that his next question held the key to his fate. But I passed, right? I qualified for Tier 2? The man nodded. Yes, you qualified. You're finished for the day. Please exit out the blue door and follow the blue path back to your room. There will be more tests tomorrow, but rest assured, nothing as stressful as today. Quen let out a long breath. He still wanted to kick someone's butt, and the blue-skinned League of Planets native would have done just as well as the next guy. The three giant men with the stun sticks, however, stood between him and any of the test-monitoring staff. The escape pod hissed open. Before Quentin left the room, he saw a new man, his suit numbered 114, tangled in the shock webbing. Quentin shook his head and walked out, following the blue path. Excerpt from A History of the Game, The Rise, Fall, and Rise of the GFL by Robert Otto. The civilized galaxy consists of 62 populated planets, hundreds of colonies, and thousands of intergalactic vessels with populations the size of small cities. With such diverse habitations, each with its own length of day, measurements of weeks and months, or their cultural equivalents, and completely different seasons, Deciding on a calendar-based GFL season seemed fraught with difficulty. Demarcus Johnson, the League of Planets cultural scientist who invented the GFL in 2658, tried to adapt the season concept created by the National Football League of Ancient Earth, just as he adapted the majority based on Earth's revolution around its star, which was as random a choice as any other planet's orbital cycles. The GFL's first 17 seasons involved a fixed 16-game schedule that began at the same time every year. In 2665, Pyrrhus Nation officials seized the team bus for the new Rodina astronauts and executed all non-human players. Following that event, the Kretorakians shut down the GFL. That shutdown created what League of Planets sociologist Clarissa Cho dubbed, quote, an entertainment vacuum, end quote. Key businessman Hoochie O'Will filled that vacuum with the creation of the Universal Football League. 
while the caliber of UFL teams was far below that of the GFL, the new league had two distinct advantages. First, it had very few regulations regarding new franchises. Anyone with the money to afford a payroll, equipment, and an interstellar-capable team bus could bring a new team into the league. Second, the UFL embraced the Kretorakian calendar, a year of which is 241.25 Earth days. The UFL played a 12-game season with a two-round playoff, allowing two seasons each Kretorakian year. This resulted in many new teams and a constant football presence. By 2668, the UFL boasted 32 teams and had crowned six champions. This never-ending season format worked so well and created so much fan interest, the Kretorakians modified it when they forcibly disbanded the UFL and reinstated the GFL. The first half of the year is the Tier 2 season. The second half is for Tier 1. Tier 3 runs constantly with two seasons a year. Roughly half of the Tier 3 leagues run simultaneously with the Tier 2 season, and the other half runs simultaneously with Tier 1. The results of this back-to-back scheduling is that some rookies moving from Tier 3 to an upper-tier team have only two weeks before the season's first game. Rookies must be cleared through the combine and can only be brought in for the roughly one week that remains of the preseason. After the preseason, teams can fill roster gaps only by grabbing free agents who have already played on a GFL roster. You have been listening to The Rookie, Season 1 of the Galactic Football League Series. Produced by Ariok Morningstar, with post-production by Steve Rickyberg. Written and performed by Scott Sigler. For more information on Scott and more free stories, go to scottsigler.com. Theme music is the song The Kids Are Coming For You by the band Super Weapon. Superweaponband.com. You're trying to say I'm hurting the air The kids are coming for you Nothing you can do Every five minutes, a transplant candidate dies while waiting for a compatible heart, liver, or kidney. Imagine a technology that could provide those life-saving transplant organs for a high price, and imagine what a company would do to monopolize that technology. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists unlocks this holy grail of medicine by reverse engineering the genomes of all mammals, creating an animal with organs perfectly suitable for human transplantation. They envisioned a docile herd animal, but one team member had another, darker vision. This ancestor is anything but docile. The team's work spawns something big, something evil, something very, very hungry. Ancestor is a complete serialized fiction podcast by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler with all episodes available. Binge the entire story now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.